the Agile brand. Welcome to season six of the Agile brand, where we discuss marketing technology and customer experience trends, insights, and ideas with enterprise and technology platform leaders. We focus on the people, processes, data, and platforms that make brands successful, scalable, customer-focused, and sustainable. This is what makes an Agile brand. I'm your host, Greg Kilstrom, advising Fortune 1000 brands on MarTech, marketing operations, and CX, best-selling author and speaker. The Agile Brand Podcast is brought to you by Tech Systems, an industry leader in full-stack technology services, talent services, and real-world application. For more information, go to teksystems.com. Before we get started, I wanted to let you know that my latest book, Priority is Action, Seven Principles for Better Strategies, Decisions, and Outcomes, is now available. In it, I give ideas and insights for leaders and teams that need to make meaningful progress on their priorities. After all, our priorities are what we do, not what we say we'd like to do. You can find Priority is Action on Amazon or learn more on my website, gregkillstrom.com. Now let's get on to the show. It didn't take long, but the world is awash in generative AI-based content. And let's face it, a lot of it isn't great, but that's not the way it has to be. Today, we're going to talk about how to utilize generative AI for on-brand content creation and why paying attention to the details matter here. To help me discuss this topic, I'd like to welcome John Ricketts, CEO and co-founder of Writerly. John, welcome to the show. Hey, Greg. Thanks for having me. Yeah, looking forward to talking about this with you. Uh, why don't we get started with you? Uh, just giving a little background on yourself and what you're currently doing at Writerly. Yeah, sure. So I'm about a dozen years uh, deep into um, into a SaaS uh, career, either as an early stage operator or co-founder, or in the case of Writerly, the, the founder. But I've been working a lot with automation tools, uh, workflow automation, in and around the, the fintech space, primarily within... Uh, workflow automation around client onboarding and, and things like that. And several years ago uh, was, was turned on to some of the early generative AI right around the time of the transformer model, sort of becoming a little more popular and getting a little bit more visibility. And it was very clear to see from, from that point that there were some really interesting use cases that were ahead of us. In a lot of ways, I, I still think that we're extremely early in the generative AI space. It may not uh, feel or sound that way, but we've, we've had a long, a long runway ahead of us when it comes to that. But going back, it was very clear to see this is really interesting technology. And from a content perspective, from an automation perspective, you know, it, it wasn't difficult to see that, that there was a, so much opportunity, but it was incumbent upon some of the early companies, uh, any of the companies now to really figure out what those use cases were um, and what the true economic value uh, to be found within those use cases was going to be. Great, great. So as I mentioned at the top of the show, I mean, the, there's there's certainly already, I, I agree with you that I think we're in early stages here of of Gen AI and, and stuff, but that doesn't mean that it hasn't gotten off to a, a pretty a pretty quick start here. So, you know, let's talk talk about some of the challenges that we face, maybe some somewhat because it has gotten off to such a quick start, but also just as something relatively early in stages of development, you know, I think there there is a lot to work out still. So, you know, as I mentioned as well, you know, it's it's certainly becoming easier to generate AI-based content, plenty of platforms out there, plenty of ways to do it. And there's certainly more of that content, but that doesn't necessarily mean we're seeing better content. 
sometimes, you know, better is not better or more is not better. Um, what are some of the common shortcomings that improper use of, of generative AI or just mediocre use maybe produces? Yeah, I think the, the top shortcoming is, is sort of a failure to live up to a perceived expectation from the user. Um, a lot of people approach generative AI, whether it's ChatGPT or, or Riley or another you know, writing platform, is that it's, it's this sort of magical place that creates sort of what's in their head. They have an image of what's in their head and what comes out from the output side may not meet that expectation. And so we kind of have to take a step back and say, well, you know, the outputs are really only as good as sort of the input instructions. And, and people need to think about you know, the input is, is, can be a very specific and needs to be a very specific set of instructions. The thing about large language models uh, and the amount of data that are contained within these models and the fact that they are probabilistic in nature is that they can do these computations very quickly around what the model believes should be the next correct sequence of, of either tokens, words, sentences, et cetera. But for really what I would like to, you know, call kind of a, a first pass, first version being this early, these models are very good at, at sort of guessing and extrapolating as to what comes next. But when you give it a limited input, a limited you know, set of instructions, the outputs can, can reflect that as well. Yeah. Yeah. And so that definitely, that leads to the idea of getting better at prompts and, you know, certainly we've, we've seen, prompt engineer job titles pop up and you know all sorts of things mm -hmm. like that but you know and i have i have thoughts about that as a, a distinct role versus as kind of a, a role that's going to eventually work into everybody's job description whether whether they like it or not in you know in this year or <laughs> i think it's eventually going to happen but you know it does point to this need to just become better at you know the inputs right so how do you see a balance between, you know, people as a skill learning to create better prompts versus the software itself making prompt writing easier? You know, is there, is it yeah. a little bit of each? Is it both? Is it, you know, what, what do you see? Well, I think, I think you said it, it's a blend of both, I think. And I share your sentiment on, you know, right now we see a lot of job postings around prompt engineers and that's a very valuable skill set, so on and so forth. But I think the further we get down the road, it's going to be incumbent upon all of us, regardless of yeah. of background or role, to know our way around prompting in some degree. Because what we're seeing right now is moving from large language models into this transition, particularly in the workforce for for companies, either at the SMB mid market or enterprise level. You're going to be you're going to be needing to have prompt skills because you're going to be working with your own custom data sets and and doing things that are that are outside of a chat GPT environment or a writerly environment and, and inside, you know, custom data to be able to, to create outputs that are meaningful and relevant to your work. So I think, you know, from that perspective, we're all going to have to get better. Yeah. But I think, you know, too, there's a blend, right? I think software exists, particularly at the application layer to make, uh, to make lives easier, to make work a little easier and not for convenience sake, but from a, from a value perspective. And, you know, right now we kind of treat and we, we talk about prompting as having uh, an assistant or or maybe an intern or maybe a coworker that's new. Yeah. You really have to educate. You have to tell it specifically what you want to do, the tasks you want it to perform. And then you sit back and you're able to sort of adjudicate how it handled that task. And then from there, you can continue to refine or address things that may be 
missing or uh, reinforce things that were good. So in a lot of ways right now, it's, it's no different than having somebody that's new to your team and you're having to really tell it. So, yeah. you know, getting really specific and really granular is, is, is a benefit. But that being said, we can't spend all of our time learning how to, how to prompt and, and, you know, there are, you know, prompting exercises can occur over days or weeks or even months. It's it's never really finished. So I think there's going to be a blend of perhaps some uh, uh, some software that's going to be able to help us in our prompting. That's going to be able to sort of guess uh, from from a position of I think this is what you're trying to arrive at. Um, let's put some macros up to be able to shorten the amount of text that we have to type or the words that we ha- you know have to speak. So it's going to be exciting to see how this goes. But again, like we're we're just at the starting line here. And where we are, it's a really good place. It's not as raw as as some might some might want to say or believe that it is. Yeah, yeah, agreed, agreed. And you know, talking about what makes good content, you know, another another key component of it is you know the you could call it the voice, the the purpose, the the reason to exist, um, as well as you know from a brand and from a marketer's perspective, you know that that brand voice of you know this feels like it's coming from me or my brand or, or whatever, not just, you know, some, a, a generic response, let's say to a, to a prompt, where do current gen AI tools, you know, maybe miss the mark here or not go far enough. And, you know, how do you, how do you solve for that? That's a great question. You know, specifically within our customer base, we work with a lot of, of large brands that have very distinct voices and, not surprisingly, one of the first concerns that we want to address when we engage in new partnerships is is how do we refine the models that are going to be responsible for producing their content to a place where it sounds, you know, and feels like it's coming from, you know, their brand voice. It's very, very important. So I think, you know, early on we saw outputs that sound like what the large model, the large language models want to sound like. And there's no tone, there's no character. It's just very, very robotic. But as we got into uh, certainly building out uh, the rest of our uh, our platform and a lot of our features, brand voice became increasingly clear that if if you can't solve for that, you're going to have a very difficult time with with some of the some of the use cases that that are out there. So for us, content uh, production in the world that's sort of consumer facing and public facing, uh, we had to go after that very very hard early on. And so, you know, how we did it was, uh, was through really a, a pathway of content moderation that encompassed a much larger suite of things. You know, we find errors, what some people might consider, you know, they, they sort of misnomer as hallucinations. I've got my own yeah. thoughts about that word. It's really just a false positive. It's, it's what the model thinks from a probabilistic standpoint should come next, but it's, it may not be. So we, we like to call them false positives. Um, they're typically not as wild as sort of the word hallucination <laughs> yeah. but we approached it from an entire content moderation perspective. And so, so, so model one for us is nailing brand voice model two for us. Uh, and once that, that is passed there, model two for us is sort of uh, syntax and accuracy, making sure that it's saying what it's supposed to say. And then sort of our third model approach in this is around um, the content structure itself and making sure that from a structural perspective, it's appropriate to go and be uh, sort of placed wherever it's going to be consumer facing. 
And I think the approach is not just a one, you know, a one model refinement. It's got to be a multi-model uh, system of filters that that sort of it can either start or it can end with with brand voice. But you have to satisfy other components in there as well. Because we we've also found that even if you nail brand voice, uh, there's still other elements that would probably detract from it being uh, welcome to be published. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but brand voice, I would say, you know, particularly with with the brands and the retailers that we work with, is is very high up on the list. Yeah. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, it it could be in in the brand's voice, but saying something completely ridiculous, <laughs> exactly. and therefore, yeah, yeah. it's uh, very very strong on one, uh, not not so much on on the other. If you're like me, it's hard to keep up with all the trends, fads, and critical concepts that marketing and CX leaders need to know about. To help, I've partnered with some of the world's most notable Martech thought leaders to create the Agile Brand Guides book series. These are short reads, three hours or less, on important topics like generative AI, customer data platforms, MarTech infrastructure evaluation, and more. They're available in print, digital, and audio formats, and quickly get you up to speed on critical topics that leaders and aspiring leaders need to understand. Search for Agile Brand Guides on Amazon or go to the Agile Brand Guide website at www.agilebrandguide.com. That's agilebrandguide.com for more. Before we get back to the show, I just wanted to remind you to hit the follow or subscribe button on your app to make sure you get notified when new episodes of this show are available. Now let's get back to the show. You know, one of the other, you mentioned, uh, you know, your company works with large organizations. Um, I work with large enterprise organizations in my, in my consulting and advisory as well. And so certainly have seen AIs and, and specifically generative AIs impact on those organizations. But, you know, one of the things that I find really interesting and, and noteworthy about generative AI in particular is that not only does it work and can it work really well in, in, with those large enterprise orgs, but it, it can have a very big impact on small organizations as well. And really every, you know, everything in between. And, you know, first, just curious, you know, how, if you agree with that and, and, you know, what, what does something like that mean in terms of, of a type of technology is, is there, are there benefits to something like that? Yeah, it's a great, great point, you know, and we certainly see it as well. Yeah. I think, I think this technology is scalable at all points on the spectrum from SMB uh, up to enterprise. But where we kind of find the real value is, you know, there's nothing that's off the shelf. You can't just go buy generative AI and expect yeah. there to be outcomes. There has to be a level of, I think it really kind of starts with intellectual curiosity. You know, what are we trying to solve for? You know, where do we really need to improve? And can we leverage generative AI to do that? And so to go down that sort of thought process is incumbent regardless of size of the organization. But where we find where we find the most impact, and you may... You may see this as well, or you might disagree, but the companies that tend to lean in early and, and have a level of curiosity to say, we want to explore this and we want to get better. This is a new skill set. It's not a, yes, it's a new technology, but it's a new skill set in the fact that the technology has to be refined. It has, you know, there's, there's, you know, an infinite amount of unique use cases for this. And so I think the, the companies, the teams, and the people that really lean in early and start to experiment and see, hey, this works, this doesn't. This works really well. Oh, I hope this was going to work, but now, you know, it doesn't. You've got to understand, you know, how you can use this tool and and where it's going to make the, the greatest difference. I 
I see, you know, large enterprise organizations benefiting tremendously from, from Gen AI that have the right infrastructure in place, that have the right teams in place. But you have leadership at a lot of these companies that are saying, look, go out, explore, experiment, find where the greatest impact can be made. Yeah. And those companies that are leaning into that are clearly, you know, they're, they're finding new applications with their own data sets. They're uncovering new insights. I mean, it's really remarkable what they're able to do. And then you have large companies that are quite content saying, you know, we don't, we're very hesitant. We want to wait and see what's going to happen. And you still, you know, kind of fall into this, uh, you know, manual task trap that, uh, that contributes to a lot of, uh, a lot of economic waste. But, yeah. you know, I think, yeah. you know, whether you're, whether you're small, whether you're large, those that are leaning in and saying, Hey, we're going to, we're going to figure this out to some degree are going to win. Then, then we're seeing them win early and often. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree with you. And uh, I, I do agree. It's granted it is software, you know, at the end of the day. Um, but I, I agree with you that it's a, it's a, almost a way of working. That's the biggest, mm -hmm. that's the biggest, it's, it's almost a philosophical shift. And, and those that are afraid they're going to lose their jobs. And, you know, there's a quote that's already been used too much, even though it's only a few months old of like, you know, you're, I think it's something to the effect of, uh, you know, you should be less afraid of losing your job to AI than losing your job to someone who knows how to use AI well is is kind of the 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 operative thing here of it is it's a way of working with something that is, you know, generally a, you've you said at the at the top of the show like it's a helper, it's an assistant, it's you know, it's it's that kind of thing. It's not it's not like a piece of software that you use completely in a, in a silo. It's, you know, when, when it's used well. That's a good point you make. We, we were on a customer call a few weeks ago and there was a, some, a statement that was similar that was made uh, talking about sort of the adoption embrace of, of AI inside the company's culture. Yeah. And it, and they said, you know, for those that, that don't like change, they're really going to hate extinction. <laughs> right. And, That's a good know, one. Yeah. While a little heavy handed um, <laughs> in, in the delivery, I think there's a lot of truth that, you know, this is this is here to stay. And it's and it's something that we're all going to be working with, um, you know, for for a long time, because it 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 does drive a lot of meaningful value in, in a lot of different ways. It's just it's up to us to sort of uncover it. Yeah. Yeah, Absolutely. And so, you know, you touched on a couple uh, a couple things about your platform, Writerly, but I wanted to talk a little more specifically about it as well. So, you know, what what would you say are, you know, some of the differentiators with Writerly, and you know, what gaps does it fill? You mentioned a little bit about target customers, but maybe maybe talk a little bit about that as well. Yeah, so we we are a diversified generative AI company in the sense that Writerly is is uh, it happens to be the corporate name, but it's also a product and it's a very horizontal sort of writing, general writing tool and helper that's templated and, and provides some really unique access to, um, to, some, to some novel templates. The other product that, that we've released in the, in the past few months is, is called Ecom. Uh, it's ekom.ai. And that's a, really a more vertical application for, uh, for digital storefront product management. Mm. And where we see in the case of ecom, the 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 biggest opportunity is in automation and scale through generative AI. And these, you know, when I talk about our customers, these are large brands, typically in excess of you know ten thousand, twenty thousand products uh, in their yeah. catalog, all the way up to hundreds of thousands. 
and the real need to to have you know not only effective copywriting from a structure and accuracy standpoint, but uh, but a brand voice perspective, and then to be able to apply that at automate with, with automation and then at scale. You know, we were talking about that many products inside a catalog that potentially need optimized for uh, for SEO. Uh, keyword changes uh, that, that, that change with the market, the, certain, the broader search market. Those are the places that we find, um, particularly, you know, in our, in our instance, that we can drive the most value is in leveraging generative AIs that we've gone down the road over the past 14 months. We, we sort of understand very intimately prompting. We understand, you know, content moderation, and then quite frankly, how to how to package this in a composable software that doesn't just require our customers to come into a new, uh, to a new sandbox or to a new piece of their tech stack. We wanted to, to integrate and work, you know, where they're spending most of their time. And so that's where we chose to focus. Um, and, and we found that some of the best applications of generative AI are, are simply just addressing current pain points. And those current pain points are typically in processes that involve a lot of manual work. And so, you know, we see, you know, and, and we, we get it as well, the question about, well, you know, you're going you're gonna to put copywriters, you know, out of work. And, you know, our response to that is, you know, you've got these really talented copywriters that are on your team. And we would challenge you to say, why do you want very skilled copywriters spending a lot of time on product descriptions and product architecture? Right. When there's other content needs in terms of long form and 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 things across you know other other areas of marketing that are far more sort of you know work up to the level of your licensure type stuff, that's where we, we kind of want to live and we've we've done a really nice job. The team's done a really nice job of overcoming a lot of initial hesitancy and really proving that hey this this works this works really really well. We don't produce these false positives or hallucinations and it's a very simple software to use for for a manual problem that doesn't really scale that well yeah yeah i mean definitely e-commerce i think is a huge we well, i have to have you back on the show we could talk just about e-commerce alone because wow. you know i think there's there's so much and, and also you know when we talk about personalizing e-commerce you know so you mentioned you know company has even 10,000 SKUs, not not even more than that but they have five audience segments in 20 countries and I can't do the math right now, but that's a lot. <laughs> we'll just put right. it that way. Right. And you know, to your point, I, you know, I'm I'm certainly more what they would call an optimist when it comes to all this stuff. So you know, certainly, I hear the the concerns about people losing jobs and and all that. I, I generally think when there's a huge technology shift, more jobs are created, just different jobs, and and so we need to focus a lot on on education and upskilling and, and things like that. But you know, I, I liken it to and some people listening may not love this, but, you know, there's there's shortages in other industries like, you know, driving trucks and fast food restaurants and, and stuff like that. And, you know, there's there's concern about replacing those jobs with AI, but they can't find people to actually do the job or they can't find enough people to do the jobs. And, you know, so to your point about writing copy for product descriptions is that a great use of a copywriter's time? Well, you know, the general strategy and the and the the beginning parts of that I think is a great use of a copywriter, but you know, to to this point, 
writing a thousand variations of that one product description, maybe, you know, not, not so much. Right. 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 <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I think, um, you know, I, that, that sounds, that sounds really interesting and, you know, like some really, there's some really good use cases already being, being used for, um, you know, do you see, uh, do you see a point where maybe companies go overboard? You know, is there such a thing as too much AI or, you know, how do brands find the right balance um, so that they are, you know, using humans for what humans do best and and likewise with, with AI? You know, there's probably, I mean, there's overboard for everything, right? Sure. I, you know, I, I don't know. That's a, it's an interesting question to think about. And yeah. it's, it's fun to think about what does, what does even an enterprise level organization look like that has adopted AI, you know, across every department, right? Yeah. From, from HR to marketing to sales to, you know, even, even the C-suite. I, I think that, that that's going to become more, more common. My only uh, recommendation from just being in this world for, for a few years now and, and working with customers and seeing what works and seeing what doesn't work. Is that you know? I think there's you, much like um, you know. You've heard the term. You can fall in love with a spreadsheet <laughs> and get drunk on a spreadsheet pretty easily. You can do the same with AI. And I think you really have to judge it through the lens of what value is this returning. I mean, look, we we have an AI company that's diversified in its product offering, and the most important assets to our company are our people. You know, these are these are humans that are still making decisions, people that are still making decisions yeah. about where to deploy AI. And and that's never going to and never say never, but it's gonna be a long time before you have, you know, communication taking a backseat right. to statistical regression models making every single decision. So I don't know. I think um, right now is a time to play an experiment. And I think the companies are going to come out of this and win the, the most are the ones that had that, that enough curiosity to say, hey, let's try this. Yeah. The ones that are, that are fearful and sort of rigid in their approach to adoption, we're already seeing it. I think the gap is going to continue to widen. And, and we kind of you know, know what, that's, what that does. It creates panic and a lot of uncertainty and a lot of you know, much worse decisions tend to fall you know, after that gets recognized. Yeah, I com- completely agree. Yeah, I think the those those that are slow to to move, uh, we're we're going to see those results. I mean, we're probably already seeing them, but like we're going to see the results of that within a few years, not within a decade or, you know, the, things are going to rapidly shift for those that are, you know, just kind of behind on all of this. I, I I think that's that's it's yet to be determined, you know, exactly how quickly, but um I think we're going to see it pretty soon. <laughs> yeah, agree. Yeah. Well, John, thanks so much for joining the show. One last question before we wrap up here. Um, you've given a lot of great advice, a lot of great insights already. What's uh, one next best action you'd recommend for those listening that want to get started improving results they're getting from their AI-based content? So what we found is there's a, you know, what what's come about beyond just, uh, you know, new software companies that are offering this. I think the people that have, that have they're out on social media, they're on Twitter, they're on LinkedIn, they're, they're creating courses. There's a lot of content, you know, being created around how do you create better content? Yeah. And I think those are fantastic resources. YouTube has, has tutorials. I think the, you know, I'm a, I'm a big believer of sort of an immersive learning experience. Um, there's certainly a lot of things that you can go online and, and, and find for free to, that talks about prompting and elevated prompting and model refinement and fine tuning and things like that. But I think, my biggest uh, 
sort of position on it is just get in there and start to play around with it. Start to start to learn what the responses are. The foundation models are getting better and better and better with each release. And so that's going to relieve a lot of the burden. But I think the the biggest way to learn is just to jump in. And, you, you know, the nice part is you, you don't have to, to do anything that's extremely risky early on. It's start small, kind of build up your skills and, and see what happens. Yeah, love it. Well, again, I'd like to thank John Ricketts, CEO and co-founder of Writerly for joining the show. You can learn more about John and Writerly by following the links in the show notes. Thanks again for listening to The Agile Brand, brought to you by Tech Systems. If you enjoyed the show, please take a minute to subscribe and leave us a rating so that others can find the show more easily. You can access more episodes of the show at www.gregkilstrom.com. That's G-R-E-G-K-I-H-L-S-T-R-O-M.com. While you're there, check out my series of best-selling Agile brand guides covering a wide variety of marketing technology topics, or you can search for Greg Kilstrom on Amazon. The Agile brand is produced by Missing Link, a Latina-owned, strategy-driven, creatively-fueled production co-op. From ideation to creation, they craft human connections through intelligent, engaging, and informative content. Until next time, stay agile. The Agile Brand.